But we are back for the reading of God's Word. It's from the prophet Malachi, starting with chapter 2, verse 17, which says, You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you ask, How have we wearied him? When you say, Everyone who does what is evil is good in the Lord's sight, and he is delighted with them. Or else, where is the God of justice? See, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant you delight in. See, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who will be able to stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire and like launderer's bleach. He will be like a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Then they will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in days of old and years gone by. I will come to you in judgment, and I will be ready to witness against sorcerers and adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker, the widow, and the fatherless, and against those who deny justice to the resident alien. They do not fear me, says the Lord of armies, because I, the Lord, have not changed. You, descendants of Jacob, have not been destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, this year for the season of Lent, we are in a series that is focused on uh, what is traditionally considered the outward disciplines of Lent, which are the acts of mercy and justice. And our sermon series for this season is entitled, God of Justice. Each week I've been sharing the basic premise of this series that I hope to show and develop as we move through this series, and this is that premise. There is no true justice without Jesus, and there is no true Jesus without justice. Said another way, we need Jesus in order to call for and work for true justice in our world. At the same time, we must call for and work for justice if we are truly following Jesus. Now, I realize those are pretty big, uh, pretty bold and challenging statements to make, especially at this time in our culture, when the word justice itself can trigger all kinds of reactions, when the call for justice, when the questions of how to work for justice creates all kinds of debate and often heated disagreement. This is why we're spending the season of Lent looking at what the Bible has to say about justice and why and how we should do it. And we've been spending most of our time in the prophets. This is one of the main themes of the prophetic books. Here's my goal uh, for our church. And maybe it's, maybe it's too much of a modest goal here, but this is what it is. I hope as a church and for myself that we would get that premise that I just shared into our bones, into the bones <laughs> and the heart of our church, and that we would all learn to define justice according to the Bible, not according to the internet, not according primarily uh, to the current ideologies or the sides of the issue in our day. That we would define justice and that we would know 
the place that justice has in our discipleship to Jesus and what it looks like for us now as a church to do justice in our community. So I hope I'm not trying to dodge or avoid specific issues. We've been speaking to those uh, as we've gone through this series. But my goal is more modest than to just jump in directly to some of these controversial questions, but for us to lay the groundwork first, that we might think rightly about issues of justice and ultimately to act on behalf of the poor and oppressed for the glory of Jesus. Okay, so today my focus will be on the question that is at the heart of this passage, Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. As I was looking at different passages and preparing for this series, I came across this verse, chapter 2, verse 17, and this question, when I typed in God of justice, this came up. Where is the God of justice? Which is a very hard but a very important aspect when we talk about God's heart for justice and what it looks like for us to do justice. We come across this difficult question. I want to look at it in three different ways. If you have a sermon outline in front of you, you see the three ways that we're going to be approaching it. First, as a cry that God hears. Secondly, as a complaint that God confronts. And then lastly, as a question that God does answer. But let's take each of these in turn and in order. And kids, I was remembering you this week. I was remembering uh, months ago when I would... um, prepare my outlines, I would also prepare a way for you kids to follow along with this uh, sermon outline. And I know you have uh, the kids bulletin that Stephanie prepared, but I also want you, uh, if you'd like to draw, to draw these pictures along with each of these points in this sermon. So the first one you can draw is a face with a tear, a face with tears, because this is a cry that God hears. That's the first thing I want to say, that this question, where is the God of justice, is an unavoidable question when two things happen that should happen for every Christian. Here are the two things. First, when you learn about the place of justice in the Bible, when you learn how it is the foundation of God's throne, which we talked about from Psalm 97, justice and righteousness are the foundation of his throne. When you learn that God loves justice, Psalm 99, when you learn that God delights in doing justice and righteousness in the earth, when you learn how knowing God equals doing justice, Jeremiah 22, when you learn how you can tell what's a fake and imposter spirituality from the real thing, when you see those who are doing justice and working on behalf of the oppressed, as we learn from Isaiah 58. When you learn all these things about God and about the Bible, and at the same time, when you learn more and more and become aware of the realities of injustice in our world, and not from a theoretical standpoint, but when you engage people who are affected by injustice, when you learn their stories alongside God's heart and what God says, this question becomes unavoidable. And just to share personally for me how this has been affecting me, I've been thinking as we've gone through this series about a number of things. One, first, since the events of uh, last summer, I've been committed myself uh, to read uh, and to listen to 
black Christian leaders to help me process the continued racial tension, unrest, and the impact of racism in our country. So I found some black Christian leaders that I deeply respect their faith, their love for Jesus and the scriptures to teach me about racial injustice. And personally, I've been very humble by what I've learned and by how much I've had, uh, how much I still have to go learning. I have so much more to learn in this as I listen. And at times it's been very hard to become aware of the theological justifications for, say, the African slave trade or the way the church was complicit and often silent during slavery, the subsequent oppression and racism that happened uh, in ongoing years after slavery was abolished into the laws of segregation and Jim Crow and the continued and ongoing pain of black people in our country. And to know at the heart of it, there is a, there is a spiritual pain. There is a spiritual cry which matches what Malachi is saying here. Where is the God of justice? And I've just been, I've been hearing that and sitting with that. And it's been very hard as I've become more aware of it. I've also thought of, of a couple other things, uh, some experiences I've had in my life. Uh, my, my dad was born in India and the only trip that I've taken there, I remember very vividly this, um, this man whose job it was at a house where we stayed at just to sit by the gate and open the gate when cars came in and out. And he was one of the, the lower caste people, lower caste um, members of the Dalit untouchable uh, caste in India. And I just, I just think of him often, and I've been thinking about him a lot, that just because of where he was born, what class he was born into, his only option uh, is to be a gatekeeper, to live outside the gate and to open and close it. Another person I've thought about as we've been doing this series is um, a migrant worker I met a number of years ago who came to our house and he said, do you need any work done in your lawn? And he was, um, he was offering uh, to work. And so we had him, we said, sure, we, there's some things you can do. But I was trying to talk with him in my, in my broken uh, Spanish, but I, I learned from him. I said, where do you live? He said, I live in the trees. And I started asking him, why? Why, why do you live here? What, what brought you here? And he said, this is my only option, to care for my family, whom I can't even see, I can't even be with, because I come from a place where I had no options. I was in, in an oppressed group in Mexico. I've been thinking about him a lot. And when I think of the lives of black Americans throughout history, uh, that gatekeeper in India, this migrant worker here in California, I can't help but ask, where is the God of justice? David Topp put together this graphic, and it, it was something we shared a, number, a few weeks ago when we started this series. And I want to see if we could just play that graphic real quick. Uh, it, was, it was a bit jarring for us, but I want to I talk about this for a moment on this point. What he did uh, was very creative. He'd probably be better at explaining it. was put together a, a, a pastiche, a collection of, of issues of tension and justice and oppression all happening in our world uh, at the same time.
And I know for some of you, when you saw that the first time, you're like, whoa, that was too much. To see all that at once and the, the cacophony of voices and noises and screams and it was too much. But I think that was part of the point as David was putting that together uh, to give us just a taste of the situations happening in our world, the cries for justice all over. Because there is this unavoidable nature. When we learn who God is, when we see and we become aware of it, we, we have to ask this question. It rises up in our hearts. Where is the God of justice? And even more so for those who are in those situations of injustice, people who are suffering themselves. There were people like this in Malachi's day. They were crying out in their souls, where is the God of justice? They're described in verse 5 of the text that we just read. You can look at that. It's the hired worker who is oppressed. It's the widow and the orphan and the alien who God says are denied justice. They're all mistreated and forgotten and oppressed by people who say they fear God, but who God says they do not fear me. So what should we do? What should we do when these two things come together? We should cry out to God. He hears this cry and he listens. Where are you, God, in this? This is an important part of spiritual maturity. This is an important part of the maturity of every Christian who comes to know God and who comes to see the brokenness of this world. Here are a few other examples in Scripture of this cry being articulated and voiced to God. Psalm 10 is one. We read this in our prayer of renewal. The psalmist says, Lord, why do you stand so far away? Where are you? Why do you hide in times of trouble? He says, rise up, God, lift your hand. Do not forget the oppressed. Why has the wicked person despised God? He says to himself, you will not demand an account, but you yourself have seen trouble and grief. You have heard the desire of the humble. You will listen carefully, doing justice for the fatherless and oppressed. The psalmist is praying and God is assuring him in his prayer that God hears. God listens carefully to the cry, where are you, God? He carefully listens. Another example is from another prophet, Habakkuk. The entire book of Habakkuk is about this question and it starts off in chapter one with Habakkuk saying, how long, Lord, must I cry for help and you do not listen or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges for the wicked restrict the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. God heard Habakkuk, as you see in the rest of the book. He did answer Habakkuk, not in the way that Habakkuk could fully understand, not in the timing that Habakkuk wanted, but in a way that he could keep trusting God. At the end of the book, Habakkuk says, even if, even if the fig doesn't bloom, even if everything withers, I can still trust in God. But he wouldn't have got there if he had not articulated that cry before God. The Psalms, Habakkuk, Malachi, God says, I haven't forgotten. I hear your cries. And in Malachi, verse 5, chapter 3, he says, I will come in justice. I will come 
to set things right. Let's think about an application here. When we become aware of terrible, heartbreaking injustices throughout history in our world, in our nation, in our communities today, as we become more aware of God's heart for justice, we should expect doubts, dissonance, deep struggle to happen. How come God doesn't judge evil? How come good things happen to bad people? That's what Malachi is saying. If God is just and fair, this wouldn't be so. Maybe there's no difference to God. Where is the God of justice? How can he be there with so much evil and injustice in the world? What should we do? Well, first, Malachi says, don't hold it in. Don't try to avoid this question as if it's off limits. If it is has no place in our spirituality and relationship to God. No, on the other hand, to the contrary, it's in the Bible. To cry out to God like this does not distance us from God, but draws us to Him. And in a way beyond what we can understand, without in any way violating God's plan and sovereign purposes, this cry moves God into action. As in the book of Exodus, he says, I hear the cry, especially of the widow, the orphan, and the alien. And when they cry out to me, God says, I will hear and I will act. And so we cry out. That's the first way I think we need to see this question. This question, where is the God of justice, is a question that can move us closer to God. When we struggle with the tension of who God is and what he says about justice and the injustice of the world, we cry out. We come out of that strengthening our resolve. Not only to trust God, but that he will do justice and we continue to work for justice ourselves. But there's a very different way that we can ask the same question. There is a way to ask that same question that doesn't move us closer to God, but actually moves us farther away from him that actually wearies God and moves us away from him and from justice the same question can be a complaint and not a cry and this is what God through Malachi is confronting here in this passage as well look at verse 17 he says you have wearied the Lord with your words what does it mean for God to be wearied you know, if you have kids, and if you've been a kid, <laughs> this has happened to you. Um, is this like a parent with their kids who are saying, that's not fair, no, that's not fair, that's not fair. And despite how many times you've told yourself, I will never say what my parents said in that same situation, I think every parent has said it, which is, welcome to life. <laughs> life isn't fair because you're so weary of the question about fairness and justice. That's not quite what's going on here. God doesn't get weary in the same way that we do as human beings. This sense of wearying God, it carries, it carries the sense, the Hebrew word of, of grief, of sadness, that God is deeply saddened and grieved by this question when it comes to him as a complaint. And he's also at the point here in Malachi where it tests his patience to the uttermost. That's what is being said through this word of weariness. Kids, as you're following along in, in the outline here, you drew a picture with a face with a tear. Now you can draw a, a person with a raised fist complaining to God. God here confronts what the people are saying 
Maybe they weren't using these exact words, but what they were thinking, the attitudes of their minds and hearts, what they were thinking about him and about justice. We need to get a little bit of the context here in Malachi. Malachi was the last prophet of the Old Testament. The people had come back from exile years earlier, many years earlier, but they were back in their homeland, and early on they were just so overjoyed. God had made a way. There was a lot of hope. They came back to rebuild the temple. They were no longer enslaved and in bondage in foreign countries. They were back. Their relationship with him was being restored. Things had started well with a lot of hope, with a lot of excitement. But after the years went by, it was nothing like the prophets said it would be. So over a hundred years after they had returned, Malachi is prophesying. The people are growing very skeptical, very cynical, and they are disappointed. Everywhere they look around, they just are spiritually disillusioned. And so this complaint here, where is the God of justice, comes from a cynicism that's directed towards God because of the evil of his people. It's important we know that they're complaining about professed believers, people who profess that they believe in God. And they're saying if they would get their act together, or if God would just deal with them, we'd all be in a better place by now. And in Malachi's day, they had a good reason for this attitude. If you look at the whole book, you find out the priests were corrupt, sacrifices were half-hearted, no one was really giving or tithing as they needed, divorce was on the rise, injustice was widespread, and there is a complaint. God, how can you allow your people to do these things? People who say they believe in you, are you okay with this? Because it sure seems like you are. That was Malachi's day. And maybe you've already made the connection, but there is good reason for this complaint in our day as well. I understand if you're feeling this. I'm feeling this at many levels. And I've talked with a lot of you about this same thing, because many of you are struggling with how can those who profess to be Christians, how can they raise a Jesus flag at the insurrection of our capital? How can Christian leaders do such evil things and have such great moral failings? How can Christians be so bad at listening to people who have suffered injustice? How can Christians not advocate for the unborn? And we could continue on in that list. And God says two things to this complaint in response. And I want you to hear this. He says, I'm not okay with this. And I will come in judgment. I will come in judgment. I'm not okay with this. And I haven't changed. This is, his, this is what he wants to say to those who struggle, who want to hold to belief in him and yet struggle with what they see, with those who profess that they believe in him. God is saying everyone, especially those who profess belief in me, will be held accountable. They will answer to me. He says in verse 6, I haven't changed. My requirement for justice and good hasn't changed. Now, I want to share a note here. We've been saying this, I've been saying this a little bit every single week in this series. And I realize I'm going to leave out a lot here, but I feel like this needs to be said. If you're struggling to hold on to belief, if you're losing faith in God because of what you see, the great disconnect between those who profess faith in God and what 
his word says about him. If you're losing faith because of this, it's important to know what's also here in Malachi and throughout scripture, that to do away with God because of injustice is to do away with the grounds for protest and questioning and working for justice itself. Questioning God about evil and justice requires a God of justice. To protest and complain about the reality of evil and injustice in the world, it all depends on a fixed and unchanging standard of good and evil. So to say, I'm going to do away with God because of the injustice that I see in the world. If we say, I don't believe in God because of injustice, then injustice just becomes a part of the way that things are if there is no God. If this world is all there is, then this is a reality that's with us. It's the way that things are supposed to be. We have no grounds to complain or cry out because of it. We have no unchanging standard to judge it. And so the complaint in this way can move us not only farther from God, but farther away from justice itself. More we could say there, but there's another aspect to this complaint that is important for us to see. Not only is this a struggling complaint with the hypocrisy of other people, God deals with that. But this complaint also comes from a place of very disturbing smugness and self-righteousness. At the heart of this question was an attitude, right? What's really wrong with the world? What's really wrong with everything that's happening here is those people, that you're not dealing with God, the other side, the people who are guilty of those particular sins. And so the people articulating this question were standing in judgment over everyone else, and even in judgment over God himself. All the while, God says, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, he says this, if my judgment came now, if I did what you want me to do, you wouldn't be ready. You would not be safe. You would be destroyed. You are not prepared. You don't fear me. You need a refining and purifying work before you can stand before me and my justice. You question my justice, yet you yourselves are guilty of injustice. One of the commentaries I read, a great commentary by Leslie Allen on Malachi, I have a slide for this. He says this, God's confronting this question in this way. If people who claim to be believers are not doing what verse 5 said, helping people in need, championing justice for the oppressed and the stranger, fearing the Lord and avoiding sin, then they had better think twice about calling for the God of justice to step in. And they better look within themselves to make sure there is genuine faith. It's very challenging. Here's how I would summarize how God confronts this question. There's a principle here, and that's this. It is hard to make sense of the disconnect in faith we see in others, but it is even harder to see our own disconnects. Say it another way, it's hard for us to see compromise in other people who profess faith in God, but it's even harder for us to see our own places of compromise. And here in Malachi, God is confronting that. This is a cry 
Now, God hears. This is a complaint that God does confront. But there's a third way I think we need to understand this question, and that is as a, God, as a question that God does answer. Where is the God of justice? God hears it. God confronts it. But our hearts want more than that. We want an answer to the problem of evil and injustice. What is it? How does God answer here? Verse 1, chapter 3. In, in our different... English translations is translated differently in, in the CSB I read. It said, see. Some say, behold. The literal Hebrew is, behold me. Where is the God of justice? Behold me, God says. What is his answer to the question of injustice? Why is evil allowed to go on? Why are evil people doing injustice and they seem to prosper? It's not a theoretical answer God gives. It's not a philosophical answer. It's a very personal answer. He says, Look to me. God himself says, I am the answer here. He says he is coming to bring justice. Not coming to bring an answer to our questions about justice. He is coming to bring justice itself. And in Matthew 11, Jesus tells us who the messenger is that Malachi is talking about. So I'm going to send my messenger first and he will come to prepare the way. Who is this? Jesus says this was John the Baptist. And so in a very unveiled, obvious way, Jesus is saying, I am the Lord who has come to his people, to his temple. I am the Lord who has come to bring justice. I am the one who's come to refine and cleanse. And Jesus is saying here, he is the answer to the question. God answers the question by saying, behold me, I am coming. And he has done this in the person of Christ. Um, in the work of Elie Weissel, who was a Holocaust survivor and author, he tells a story of being forced to watch the hanging of two men and a boy. Unimaginable. The two men die quickly, uh, but the boy is lingering between life and death for more than a half an hour. He says, behind me, I heard... A man asking, for God's sake, where is God? And he says, from within me, I heard a voice answer, where he is? This is where. Hanging here from the gallows. The Weissel in his Jewish faith was clinging to what the prophets, what the, what the word said, what the Old Testament said. God is here with the suffering. And that's the only answer that will satisfy. And Christianity says this answer, the answer that will satisfy the heart, is literally and historically true. Where is God? Where is the God of justice? He is here. He is hung from the tree. Christianity doesn't say avoid this question. It encourages us to ask this question. It forces us to ask this question. Where is God in a world of injustice? He is hanging on the cross, bearing injustice with the poor and oppressed, suffering as a victim of injustice himself, and at the same time bearing the judgment of all who are guilty of such grave injustice, all who come to him in repentance and faith. This is the answer to the question, and this is the refining power for justice. 
John Stott wrote in his great book, The Cross of Christ, he said, really, how could we believe if this wasn't true? If God isn't there hanging in the gallows on the cross? Stott said, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross in a real world of pain. How could one worship a God who was immune to it? And I deeply resonate with what John Stott has said there. God's answer to the question is in the person of Jesus. He is not immune to the pain of injustice. In fact, he has borne it himself. And this is also the refining power for justice in our lives now, in the present, in this broken world before Jesus comes again to bring in a world of perfect justice and righteousness. We see Jesus display the unchanging justice of God and how that meets the unchanging grace and love of God. This, this phrase that Malachi says here at the end of this text, I, the Lord, have not changed, so you, descendants of Jacob, have not been destroyed. Because I don't change, God says, you haven't been destroyed. My justice hasn't changed, so you should be destroyed. But my mercy and my grace hasn't changed either, so you aren't. It's a great tension at the heart of the Bible, only resolved in the cross. At the cross, we see justice. God cares about justice more than we ever will. All acts of injustice must be dealt with and will, either at the cross or in the final judgment. But God cares this much about us, his mercy and grace on display. At the cross, justice and mercy meet, and there is refining power in this, as God meets us in our poverty, in our helplessness, and in our great need. We see, how could I, how could I, if God has met me in this way, guilty, worthy of destruction, and yet given grace and mercy, how can I not have a heart of mercy for those who are oppressed, needy, and poor? That is the refining and purifying work of the cross, of the gospel. It's a cry. Where is the God of justice? It's something that can be a complaint that God confronts. And ultimately, it is the answer. The answer that refines us and turns us into people of justice. As we wait for the final coming, complete kingdom of justice and righteousness in Christ. May God make it so. Let's pray. Would you pray with me, Father? As we come to you with this question that you've given us, you've written down in your own word, where is the God of justice? As we cry out to you, I pray you would assure us that you, you hear us, where we need to be confronted and challenged, in our own hypocrisy, I pray you would confront us. Where we need to be comforted that you don't change, that nothing has changed about you, I pray you'd comfort us. And where we need to be refined and purified, I pray you would refine and purify me, us as a people, in order that our hearts might be like yours, hearts for justice and hearts for unfathomable mercy. Would you do it? by the work of your spirit.
We pray in Christ's name. Amen.